2: Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Whoa, we got some fun stuff going on around here. Twins, seven straight wins tomorrow at Tampa. They'll be playing on the Wolf. The Wolves will be playing on the CCO against Memphis in Game 6. Joining us now in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Trent Tucker's got a ring to his name. He knows how this stuff works. around ran into the health club yesterday. so we we got to talk about this, Trent, because this game six is too important not to talk about. Not just too important this week or this season, but in the big picture, the Minnesota Timberwolves organization. Uh, if they could find a way to win this series and forget what they do against Golden State, what that would do for this franchise would be transformative. And you don't get very many transformative kicks at the piñata, as they say. Trent, were you ever down three games to two and came back and won a series that you recall? Uh,
3: yeah, 1990, I was down two games to zero. And at that time, the first round was, was best of five. Oh, whoa, oh, oh. And we were playing the uh, Boston Celtics. And the first two games in Boston, they blew us out. We kind of looked into the playoffs, not playing well, not a ton of confidence, team not connected together. So we go to Boston for games one and two, and they probably beat us by an average of 25 points or more. We go back to Madison Square Garden for game number three. Everybody thinking, well, you know, it's just a formality, you know, is, is, is this thing is going to end tonight, okay? And Kenny Walker, who is not known as a three-point shooter, we up by two and uh, with about, I don't know, 15, 20, 25 seconds left in the game. Doc clock's running down. He throws up a three-point shot from 25 feet, knocks it down. We go up by five. We win the game by three. Now we go into game four. All of a sudden, we got new life. We got confidence. We feel better about ourselves. The garden is alive. We blow out the Celtics in game four by 25 points in Madison Square Garden. Now
0: That's you're going center. back to Beantown, huh?
3: Now we're going back to Beantown for a decisive game five. At that time, only four teams had ever come back from being down 2-0 to win the playoff series in the best of five. We beat the Celtics in Game 5 by 12-14 points on the allen floor. Really? And, you know, that shot Kenny Walker makes, we get confidence. We come out in Game 4. You thought that we were the best team in the NBA. And then we go to Boston. It's a nip-and-tuck game. I think I hit a three-point shot to put us up by three in the fourth quarter, and we never looked back from there.
0: Now you're playing against a former uh, Gopher Kevin McHale, right? Yeah. And Larry Bird, of course. What was and it like Robert for you? To... And, and, and
3: yeah. Dennis Johnson.
0: And Dennis Johnson. But what yeah. was it like to play against McHale when you played uh, with him for the Gophers? Uh, you know, it was, you or does that wear off real was. quick? Yeah, and, and you knew how good he was,
3: and yeah. you knew that. He was going to be a load for us to deal with, and but it it was it was nice play against it because you he said, hey you know here's a, here here are two guys who played together at one point in time, and they both were good enough to make it to the next level. So that shows you exactly how how good our team was when when I played for the Gophers.
0: Okay, so so now here come the. Timberwolves against Memphis. I was out there today, and uh, Chris Finch is is very frustrated that his team doesn't rebound better, offensive rebounds in particular. In fact, you know, John Morant almost looks like a hockey player sometimes, like just, just get a shot on net, and then if, we, if I miss it, there'll be somebody there for the rebound in the basket. Sometimes that's what it looks like he's playing out there. But that being said, the question that I asked Chris Finch today is, is rebounding about length or is it something else? And then he said it's about toughness, having tough dudes that are willing to punch first. Um, we don't see as many seven footers, Artis Gilmore, McHale, that kind of length anymore. What is rebounding about? First of all, can you rebound well with the small lineup?
3: It's about technique. It's about when the shot goes up, and I was taught this from you know, from early days on as a basketball player. When the shot goes up, the first thing you do, you locate the man that you're guarding.
0: And box him out.
3: Locate locate him first, box him out, and then, and then go find the basketball. What happens to a lot of kids in today's game, when the shot goes up, they lose sight of the man they're guarding. They follow the flight of the basketball. So then they walk into a space not knowing where their man is coming from, and then all of a sudden, the offense player, you know, gets a running start in an open lane to get to the offensive glass. And then when it becomes a jumping contest, more times than not, he's gonna win that battle. So it's it's all about technique, it's all about fundamentals, it's all about going back to the basics. When you play at this at this time of the year, it's the small things that will get you beat. And and if you lack fundamentals, if you lack technique, That's how you can lose the playoff series.
0: Brandon Clark, what does he do? Because it seems like, and there are certain guys like this, Bobby Jackson used to be like this, you you can't explain why is the ball always coming off to him? What what, what do you see from him?
3: He's active. He chases, he tracks the ball down because there's nobody blocking him out. So when the shot goes up, he understands where the ball is going to come from off the rim if it's a miss. So he gets a running start. So he has a clear vision of where the ball is going to go. And the guy that's guarding him has no, has, no, has no awareness, has no sight of where he's at. So when you get that run and start, he's already athletic. So now he gains that one-step advantage that he needs to get in a position to offensive rebound.
0: Okay. The second part of this is, and all the players seem to, to I mean, they echo it. It's an echo chamber, but nobody does anything about it. Uh, um, they call it, you know, hero play at the end of games. Everybody wants to be the hero. And they're, and they and they're taking the ball and they're deciding, they're going to decide this thing and they end up with a lot of bad shots. Um, why not just call plays in the last two minutes? And, and I, I know that even if you call a play, and I asked Chris about this as well today, uh, that, that you still have, the point guard has the option. So if he thinks he, you know, if he thinks he can get to the basket, like D'Angelo Russell the other night and end up with a terrible shot, um, uh, you still have that as part of the option, even if you call a play. But can't you call plays that require movement and passing at certain parts of the game?
3: You should be able to. I mean, you know, do the Wolves have a go-to play? You know, in the last three to four to five minutes when they're trying to hold on to a lead, do they have plays they can call where the best player now is in a position to touch the ball? You know, where he puts the defense on notice. You know, I saw, you know, in the fourth quarter of, of game number five, you know, when the Wolves were trying to hold on to the lead, Carl Anthony Towns was standing in the corner. Mm-hmm. D'Angelo Russell was going one-on-one. Anthony Epples was going one-on-one. Other guys were taking crazy wild shots as if they were down by 10 or 12 or 14 points. And when you're trying to, to hold on to a lead or you're nursing a 8-9 a, a to nine to 10-point lead, now you have to come down and execute. You have to know where you're going to go with the basketball. And in, and in the fourth quarter against Memphis, especially in game number five, the Wolves had no idea where the ball was going to go.
0: You hear this about uh, Towns that he, he wants to post up too high, that he needs to go low from time to time and, and then either draw contact or make a play. Uh, but that's just not his nature. He wants to bring it out. He doesn't want to go low block, so to speak, in the traditional sense that we know. Uh, does he need to go lower sometimes?
3: Well, the play designed for him to catch the ball out high. You know, they run pick home, right? Where's yeah. he said to pick at? He said to pick at 28 feet, but he can't get down
0: low. You can't get low from there.
3: No. So he pops out to the mids ring. He catches the ball at 15, 17 feet. He never starts, starts on the basket. There are no cross screens. There are no down screens. So in, in the game today, primarily the big guy, if he's good offensively, he's always setting the pick and roll. He's picking and popping. You very you, know, you very rarely see a big guy pick and roll to the basket or a guy catches the ball on the block. Carl Anthony Towns, when the game is on the line, they should have some sort of play. But there's a cross screen for him where he comes from one block to the next block. He catches the ball. Now, if the double team comes, he can locate. Mike can see where the double team is coming from. Okay, so, so now you got yep. guys. Now you got guys who are in a position where they can catch and shoot. You know, when you have your perimeter players with the shot clock running down, and they got a, and they have to dribble the basketball four, or five, or six times, that's going to end up to be a bad shot. Only so few guys that I've ever seen, you know, throughout the history of basketball, are able to take five, six, seven, eight dribbles and beat the defense and make plays. Those guys are far few in between. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, maybe Elgin Baylor. But we don't have that guy on our team. Now, if Carl Edmonton catches the basketball and you come with the double team, he makes a kick-out pass to Anthony Edwards. Now the defense gotta decide: Do I run and take the three-point shot away? He can ball fake now and get into the lane, offer of one or two bounces, and make a play going to the rim. He doesn't have to take more than two dribbles if the play is set up right and force the defense to. And once the defense has to shift, now you can find an open shot or you can find driving angles to the basket.
0: Trent Tucker is our guest. Jacksonville Jaguars are on the clock. Uh, trying to decide who to make the number one pick overall for the second, uh, year. Trayvon Walker and Aiden Hutchinson, uh, the two most off-mentioned names, uh, both, uh, you know, one an edge rusher, but one's a defensive lineman from Georgia. And of course, Aiden Hutchinson from, uh, Big Ten country in Michigan, uh, who will keep you updated as this thing trans, uh, moves along the, the Vikings with the number 12 overall pick. Okay. So D'Angelo Russell makes that terrible play the other night and, and gets a, a bad shot what can a coach tell him? How do you control a veteran point guard like that uh, to try to get him to do something different?
3: I would put uh, Jared McLaughlin in the game with him.
0: Mm-hmm. At and that time in the game, ball, in the last couple of minutes, you mean?
3: Yeah, and put the ball in McLaughlin's hands because he's going to run the offense.
0: And, and, th- and then Russell becomes, and he is a skilled shooter, but he becomes a shooter instead of a decision maker.
3: There you go. And all of a sudden now so you take, see, so instead, and so instead of of him thinking that you're trying to show him up or you're trying to embarrass him by taking him out of the game. He's still in. You put the ball ball in the hands of somebody else who will come down and make the simple play. McLaughlin will make the simple play. The offense will stabilize when he's in the game is because he's going to go to the right place at the right time with the basketball. But now you get D'Angelo Russell off the ball, and if the ball swings back to him, now he's got the defense running at him so he can ball, get up under, or he can take the open jump shot. So now you give him options where he doesn't have to think too much or try to do too much to get a shot off. All
0: right, so, so you got the ball, and you got a tie game, and, you, and you're and you going for the win. And, and you've got McLaughlin, you've got Russell on the floor, you've got Anthony Edwards, you've got Carl uh, uh, Anthony Towns, and let's just say uh, Vanderbilt's there for, for just in case somebody misses as a possible offensive rebounder. What play right. would you call?
3: And I, would, and I would go back to an old play that we ran for Bernard King back in the, in the 80s. But the play called 42, okay? And what 42 was that point guard would take the ball in the wing, okay? Two guard would go down as if he was going to post up. He would go all the way across the lane on the other side of the rim and set the screen for the big guy to come across. The big guy doesn't move until the guard gets all the way across the lane. You're going to pick the man. If they switch, hold that basketball the point guard on that wing, let Carl Anthony Towns stop in the middle of the lane. And if they force you to the block, now you catch the basketball. We got 10, 12, 13, 14 seconds on the shot clock. Now you got to catch the ball and turn low kick. If a little guy's on you, catch the ball, turn and shoot as quick as you can because Memphis has no one on their team. If Carl Anthony Towns catches the ball at four to six feet from the basket, they have nobody that can block your shot. He has wonderful low post moves. So, Mike, put him in a position. To make the shot. Now, if you don't like that action, have the four guy come down and set a screen down on Anthony Edwards. You prop him up to fifteen feet and say, "Go to work from there."
0: Okay. So, so, so if to, that's that tim- set place for, for the Timberwolves to win tomorrow, what has to happen?
3: Well, one, they have to get off to a good start because it's going to be uh, it's, the crowd is going to be is going to be energetic. It's going to is going to be off the it's going to be off the rafters in that place. Get off to a good start. But they know if they get off to a good start, they know Memphis is going to make a run. They're going to have to control. They're going to have to control their emotions. They're going to have to keep Memphis off the offensive glass. They're going to have to get to those three-point shooters. And tomorrow night, my only major concern going into game number six, did Ja Morant wake up at the game number five? Uh-huh. Because for four and a half games or four games in three quarters, You know, he was not the player that everyone was talking about. And then all of a sudden, in the the end of the third quarter, when he gets the big slam dunk and into the fourth quarter, he became that guy once again. Will he become that guy tomorrow night when he has a free game to play with? So I, I think that the Wolves are going to have to play a complete basketball game for 48 minutes, and Carl Anthony Towns is going to have to stay out of foul trouble for one, and then he's going to have to be at his best.
0: Trent, appreciate it very much. Always good to visit with you, my friend. Anytime, like Trent Tucker. He's got a ring on his finger. He knows know a little bit about the game of basketball. Hey, the first pick is in the books. Jacksonville made it. We'll tell you who it was when we come back. Welcome back. Uh, NFL Draft Night, let's get you up to speed. The number one overall pick belonged to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Of course, they took a quarterback last year. They've changed coaches since then. And this year they went defense. Everybody knew it was between Aiden Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker. Trayvon Walker taken number one overall. Uh, defensive lineman, good speed, good athlete. And then Detroit makes the hometown pick. Aiden Hutchinson from the University of Michigan. Of course, if you watched uh, this year from afar, you saw his year. He broke his father's sack record. Uh, interesting side note: His dad uh, became a doctor and still is a doctor, uh, an emergency room doctor. And uh, he delivered his son, Aiden Mm. when he was born. 11 pounds and 2 ounces. And his father was the doctor that uh, performed the the delivery. A side note, that's the interesting stuff that comes up during the course of the draft. And, of course, he had just a great year for Michigan. And uh, they beat Ohio State and all those things that went with it. So now, Chris Tubbs, now it gets interesting. Yeah, this because is, yeah. when will the first mm-hmm. corner go? Now, we know Houston's yes. pick is in. We don't know what, who it is yet. Yeah, th- this is where I think Vikings fans
4: start to pay attention because the sooner that Sauce Gardner goes, then I think you start to see maybe a little bit more of a sense of urgency for Derek Stingley. And that, you know, if you believe in the Vikings absolutely needing to take a corner, that would be a worst case scenario for Minnesota. And for for Viking fans, if that's what you believe they should do.
0: Yeah, now I was told by people that know more about it than I on the inside that the conversations have, have really moved around uh, and the cornerback is not the priority position that people think. Not that they wouldn't take a corner if it presents itself, mm-hmm. but they don't feel like they have to, have to, have to get a lockdown corner in the first round and, and they would be comfortable taking Garrett Wilson or Jordan Davis, uh, either one of them. Now, Derek Stingley ended up going, here we go. Here comes the run on cornerbacks, right? He goes third mm-hmm. overall, the LSU cornerback that they were hoping might be uh, with wow. Patrick Peterson, Ooh. both from LSU wow. and Peterson could take him under his wing. Uh, obviously, you know, in, in probably the last month, it became pretty apparent that Stingley would never drop to the Vikings. Well, I mean, his pro day just blew yeah, people it just, away. unless you wanted to trade up, it was pretty apparent that they you weren't going to had to make get sure Stingley. that he was healthy. Yes, and they're not going to get Gardner either. I mean, let's be honest here, unless unless they make a move. I, yeah. I can't see a scenario where he falls to 12.
4: No, not, no, n- not now. So. so now you're
0: left with McDuffie, maybe, as the next best corner on the board. And, th- and then you say, well, is that worth the 12 yeah, pick? Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah, exactly. And then, I mean, do you entertain a team like maybe... Pittsburgh moving up, or New Orleans wanting to move up. So, I, I mean, it, it all depends too. I mean, what happens with Hamilton, the, the safety out of Notre Dame? I mean, you know, he's six four. He's like a unicorn. Yeah, safety, if, if so. you,
0: if you think he can be a real playmaker yeah. and a difference maker and, and you can play him back there with his other Notre Dame guy, Harrison Smith, and you go, this guy for 10 years is going to be a dominant player because he's damn near a linebacker, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but he plays safety and he, and we can move him around the field. If you feel that strongly about his athletic prowess and it is, in his upside, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you take a strong look at him. I don't know that he's, that good or that gifted uh, but that's what you'd have to weigh against the rest of the field I think is is this a 10-year guy
4: right yeah and 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 also I mean You've got Kevin O'Connell who came from the Los Angeles Rams. Well, who, this is the
0: other why, the reason why they've had so many conversations about Garrett Wilson, etc. Is, yep. is that people believe O'Connell wants three great receivers. You, uh, Plus, you, they're yeah. going to lose, you know, Thielen or Jefferson. I mean, here we go. One of them's going soon.
4: Yeah, I, and I mean, you know, Thelon's getting a little, you know, yep. long. In the you do, know, and, do you end up trying to win games forty-one to thirty-five? I mean, well, is that you? Do you go tech Bowl type?
0: You know, and and and. I don't think you do, but I also understand that offensive coaches believe they can mm-hmm. and they love having the tools, especially if he's going to call the place. They love having all the tools. It's just human nature. Mike Zimmer loved drafting defensive players. He loves drafting <laughs> offensive players. They lobby for it, you know, et cetera. Now, now, Zimmer did not get his way the last three drafts. They took Derrissaw. They took Jefferson. They took Bradbury. But in general, he and in free agent market as well. He always wanted the emphasis on cornerbacks and defensive linemen. Much more to come on this edition of Sports to the Max. It's draft night, but it's much more, and we service all of the above. Stay with us. All right, Amon Gardner goes fourth overall to the New York Jets. So two corners are off the table now, Stingley and Gardner. And um, I don't know. If the the Vikings want McDuffie, he might be there at twelve. Otherwise, I, be, I, I believe you begin thinking about another position. And you've got to think about Jordan Davis some. I mean, maybe you like Garrett Wilson, but if Jordan Davis is there, you can move up or back to get him. You know, who knows? Jermaine Johnson from Eden Prairie, edge rusher. You could always use one of those, particularly in that 3-4 scheme. We'll see. Uh, you know, Queasy Adolfo Mensah has got to make the calls. He's the new general manager. He had his press conference earlier this week. And he was asked, how many hours does he put in preparing for this in his new job, his new title as general manager of the Minnesota Vikings?
5: You mentioned the long hours. How many hours are you putting in? Are you here till midnight every night or in your first draft? um, You know, you do whatever it takes to get your job done. Um, You know, I I, I talked about my mom and my initial prep, my dad, you know, when they came to this country, my dad was at dental school. and He's driving a cab and my mom worked multiple jobs. You know, one of my closest childhood friends, a, a transplant surgeon who, I, I want to say doesn't sleep for two days and then goes and operates on somebody. So I'm not going to be ever the one standing up here telling you how many hours at work doing something like this. It's, it's just a privilege. I get that,
0: but I do not want somebody that's been up for two straight days to operate on me. And, and, and I have great respect for it, for whoever that man is. And I get what he's saying. Um, really what he's trying to do is set the stage. Here's page one for him. You know, how, how do you get the Minnesota Vikings to the next level? and 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 let, let's 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 be really honest about this finally okay we don't know if he has a clue we really don't we don't know if he has a clue as to how to run an organization or run a draft we don't he's never drafted before he told me that he was on the phone in case people wanted to make trades to the draft room last year i mean that that's hardly a high end position so this is about him this is this is about getting it right and this guy having such great skills and and being able to lean on other people Uh, that he can get it right. But it's going to be very difficult for him on his own accord because he never played football. Remember that. So he doesn't have that feel for it. So he's got to lean on a lot of people uh, beyond analytics to get it right. Now, a big piece of what he's trying to do with the Minnesota Vikings is is to get everybody rolling in the same direction. That's how he got the job. It was like, hey, we've got these culture problems. We need to fix the culture problems. And so he was asked how important uh, this time has been since he took the job bigger than the draft to try to get the culture right in the front office
5: it's been important it's been probably my favorite part of of what's been going on you sit you know you sit everybody you, you daydream when you you know when i was in san francisco and i'm sitting in the office uh, long hours and what would it be like when i got here and you know what would we dress like what we how would we start meetings mm-hmm. we play a you know we play our our morning song to get going and we all these things that we do and mm-hmm you dream about and they're here and they're happening and it's been it's been special to be a part of and i'm so happy that everybody here has responded positively to it uh but again you know the culture is important that's not just the culture of the personnel but it's culture that kevin's building with the players and all of it and it's it's been great we like where we are we like what we're building um by no means do we feel like we've done anything we just we just got started but we're excited about where we're going
0: uh and and you should be excited but you, you know you got this thing you've got a lot of good players a lot of pieces to the to the puzzle right now um, but now you know, now it's time. You make the decisions. You make the call. It, it's on you. It's you become a, a part of the record. It, it, it is who you are, starting the night. And so he was asked, "How does he manage risk? Say a high end talent that's got some issues versus reward?"
5: The risk reward, um, in general, to your point, it, it is just. It's not an exact science, but it is something that you pay attention to. If there's a certain value for a player, yeah, there's got to be a discount for certain things like injury risk or things like that. But it's not this perfect, hey, it's 10 percent here or it's 5 percent here. Or, it's around or of discount. It's, it is kind of a, you know an, an imperfect science, a little bit art, and a little bit of uh, math together. And, and I think that's where we, where we thrive.
0: All right. We'll hear more from him throughout the night. The New York Giants are on the clock with the number five overall pick. Two corners already gone. Will there be a run on quarterbacks at some point in time, particularly if they're not picking up the option on, uh, on Jones out there in New York with the Giants? Does that mean they've got their eye on a quarterback? I don't know. And I don't, I don't see, I, I can't say that for sure though. Uh, but I don't see the, um, Vikings taking a shot of the quarterback in the first round. You know, it's possible. You could see somebody there that you're just in love with and you go, yeah, I got to have him. But I don't see that happening with the Vikings, uh, even if it's one of those people that just say, hey, not for this year, but for the following year. I don't see that happening, but I don't know. Because I don't think that uh, Kevin O'Connell, when you got Delvin Cook sitting there and Adam Thielen and those people and Daniil Hunter, uh, I don't think you want to sit and wait. Uh, came on Thibodeau goes to the New York football giants out of Oregon and uh, good athlete, good athlete, good feet, good skills, strong kid. Um, you know, he'll help them. He'll help him. I don't think he was on the Vikings radar or, or someone that they thought they'd, they'd get to, but uh, that one's kind of expected. I'm waiting to see now if we get a run on quarterbacks. Um, but and I don't know if we will or not. But uh, Thibodeau to the Giants, the Jets have been in, so we're five picks into it. The twins, uh, the uh, Vikings are at 12. So we're probably about, oh, half hour at least or so away. All right, Kevon Thibodeau, the last one taking the NFL draft. He Oregon edge rusher to the New York football Giants, where Andre Patterson, an old friend of mine, will coach him, a defensive line coach there for the Giants, who came to Minnesota with Denny Green at one point in time, left us, came back with Mike Zimmer and is now running the defensive line for the New York football giants, and he got what he wished for. That means if he lobbied for Thibodeau, uh, they got him because they got a very special edge rusher from Oregon who's athletic, can make plays. We'll see how that plays on the big stage. We're still waiting for quarterbacks to take a run. Right here on WCCO Today, you heard earlier today, the Minnesota Twins won their seventh straight game. First time they've won six in a row since 2008, 14 years ago at the Metrodome. That's how special this homestand was for them. Now they go on the road to Tampa, but that's after winning 6th straight at home, 7th straight overall, and leaving here in first place. That's a pretty good day. After the game today, I went out to the clubhouse and I talked to Rocco Baldelli about what this team is going through. What's impressed you the most over the last uh, week about this team? Because you've won a lot of different ways.
1: Um there's a few things there's a few directions i could go with that um i think it's hard to not mention the way we've been playing defensively um uh, it goes along with the pitching the pitching's been great uh but when the ball's been put into play um we've just executed we finish plays uh, the ball's going in our glove um we're making good throws we're making good turns we're we're finishing a lot of uh, outs, which is what we need to do in order to get where we need to be. But um, you know, it feels like there's a lot of things that are working well right now. I think uh, we should be happy with the way we're playing. But uh, we got to get ready for tomorrow and, and keep it going. But it's been uh, it's been fun to watch from where I'm sitting.
0: Is defense point of emphasis is spring training different, or is it Carlos Correa solidify a lot of things? What is
1: it? It's probably a few different things. I think. Um, I think we have a good mix of guys that are that are good quality defenders. Guys that work every day out there uh, on what they need to do. Um, we've we've added some good defenders to the mix too, um, with Carlos, with Gio, uh, and I think just the way that the group is playing together and and understanding what everyone uh, can do next to them, um, it's it's working.
0: There you go, Twins playing uh, Tampa tomorrow. Uh, Rocco to go back home. The uh, in Carolina, they took a Carolinian. Uh, Carolina Panthers take a Cam Aquanu, uh, big offensive lineman out of North Carolina State. Uh, he'll step in there and try to play. And get, they they got a lot of needs out there. Uh, Carolina does, and so we were just talking, uh, Tubbsy, about the you know would they go for a quarterback given the fact that Sam Merrill not going to be the man, and and they, and they really kind of lacked a lot of oomph this last season yeah, offensively. They did,
4: they did. And, and I tell you what, with uh, Malik Willis still being there, and- not far away in Liberty. No, and and Kenny Pickett, those are the two names right now. All all of a sudden, Maxie, I think with those two guys both still being on the board, I think if the Vikings...
0: Want to trade like, down?
4: Exactly. Yep. Here looking, we go. Right. right See, so here comes the desperation. That, that's where that
0: twelve spot a, sits. A if like, you I, know, if you know, right, and the yep. quarterbacks are all sitting there. Yeah, a team like New Orleans or a team and, 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 like. Pittsburgh. And now you know you can still get Jordan Davis, say, yep. or whoever it is. Yeah, it, it didn't. You break, might be yeah. able to make the move and pick up another draft. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it might not work well if you wanted the
4: corners. But yeah, you still very much got uh, McDuffie could be out there. The the options for trading down. Now, all of a sudden, I think that becomes more enticing Increase because you can get some of those day, do, day two picks back that you lost. Mm-hmm. So here's a chance to recoup some of that and maybe still get one of those guys that you need.
0: Yeah, and, and Kenny Pickett, interestingly enough, he played at Pitt, of course, and uh, his coach out there, his offensive coach, quarterback, mm-hmm. coach, coordinator, is Tim Salem, who used to play – quarterback for the Gophers, you know, Joe Salem's uh, son. And so we had he, him on with us on Sunday with Pete Najerian and I talking about Kenny Pickett and how much he likes him uh, and what he's done in his body of work. And it was because of Pickett's great year that they got a transfer portal quarterback from USC to come in this year because, you know, and th- this is funny that the ramifications of, right? You see yeah. Pickett, you go, if you can do that with Pickett, what can you do with me? So USC gets a new coach. Yeah. He goes, I'm coming out and play at Pitt because you can make me that guy. Uh, but Salem, and of course, all these coaches have nothing but glowing reports. You know, about the guys that might get drafted. Yeah, and, you know? and I mean, once
4: you have a reputation as being a, I mean, the U of M with Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, wide receiver, you. Yeah. it's like all of yeah. a sudden, you know, Penn State, linebacker You So once yep. you start to get a reputation, especially for quarterbacks, I mean, quarterbacks, that's where the big money's at. So, of course, you're going to follow that.
0: Well, and, and, and who's the most successful turned out quarterbacks in the last few years? North Dakota State. Yep. Go Go figure that one out, right? Yeah, it's... It's weird because yeah.
4: yeah we were you know we were talking about you know the you know Division One AA or the D two however you want to you know look at just kind of how you you know how you how you rank the, and project you, right what's measure, the finished yeah.
0: product John Madden once said he was asked what's the toughest part about coaching and he said trying to figure out what the finished product looks like <laughs> yep uh, we mentioned the Minnesota Vikings uh, at twelve they're still a ways away uh, Jeff Robinson's going to join us he he sat in that draft room for years has been active in the draft this year for different reasons. Uh, Pete Nigerian, who just loves the draft, he gave me a layout today like you wouldn't believe of the options the Vikings have and why he likes who it, who he likes and who he doesn't like. Meanwhile, Kwesi Adapamensa has been trying to figure this whole thing out, and they go to the combine, these, these uh, executives do, and, and that's where they get a chance. that Yeah, they get all the, uh, the analytics on them, how fast they are on the 40 and all that, but it's also their chance to do an interview with these players, these prospective players they're going to invest millions of dollars with. And I asked him, I said, what do you try to get out of those interviews at the Combine that tell you how that player projects? Here's what he said.
5: First of all, we want to make sure that we use that data point in its, you know, in its contextual importance, right? So our area scouts and road scouts and national scouts, they've been scouting these guys for two, three, four years. And so that's a lot of information, a lot of anecdotal information from their coaches, strength coaches, and things like that. So I want to make sure that, first and foremost, we're not overweighting a 20-minute session where they've, they've maybe been 15 before us and they're 21, 22-year-old kids and they might be a little fatigued and make sure that they're more, we're, they might not be their best version themselves. So I want to make sure we're weighting the importance of it. But after that, it's really just trying to see what, 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 what's their why, what, you know, what drives them, are they going to be able to operate in a professional environment. Do they have what's in them or the want to, the desire to, to become the greatest player they can be? You know, we, we're trying to put a building together where everybody's going to be the best version of themselves. Now, are they going to fit in that culture? Those are really the main things we're focused on, but we're not trying to be, do too much with an interview like the Combine.
0: All right. There you go. The Evan Neal, uh, next taken by the New York Giants again, defensive tackle. So Andre Patterson's getting his way out there uh in New York he he's winning the lobbying sessions behind the scenes he's got two defensive uh, linemen out of this deal uh, an edge rusher and now a defensive tackle so you can see where they think that their need is uh in New York for the players that they need and uh he's one of those big defensive linemen you see that wears that Alabama helmet well when you when you see those pro those helmet programs where you just know he's one of those big guys and you look at him and say boy he looks like a player Uh, That was him when you watched him. It's like, okay, I can see Saban, what he's thinking here. He puts these big guys in, he lets them go to work, and he's one of those guys. And so uh, he goes to the New York Giants. The Giants have had two picks. The Jets have had one. We still haven't seen a quarterback go yet. We've seen two cornerbacks go uh, as we approach the Vikings' uh, number 12 overall uh, uh, pick, which will be coming up here uh, shortly. I mentioned the Twins won today 7-1. to one. Bailey overpitched his three and two-thirds innings, had a little tightness, so he came out of the game, but he was effective, and he's learning what it's like to be a starting pitcher in the big leagues, and he's learning what it's like to play in a team that's suddenly in first place. I talked to him about both. Bailey, how'd that feel? Another good outing, another good starting pitching performance, and, and the beat goes on for the Twins?
1: Yeah, it always feels good to win, especially when you uh, get to sweep a uh, in-division team. Um, right now, I feel like we're playing really good baseball all the way around from the defensive side, um, pitching, starting guys, all the way back to the back end and the relievers, um, and then our offense is obviously getting it done.
0: Are you, are you a believer that starting pitching is contagious, that you know it feeds off each other?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it, it helps when you have really good relationships, um, and every day you're kind of trying to help the other guy and then using their success and trying to push yourself to go even farther.
0: How much confidence do you have in the defense behind you?
1: Oh, it, it, It's big time. It helps when you have some platinum gloves behind you.
0: Correa <laughs> was pretty good again today.
1: Yeah, he's outstanding back there.
0: How are you feeling? Pretty good. Oh, would you like to have Correa behind you, huh? That guy can pick it and go. He had a couple good plays today. Uh, Jorge Polanco was outstanding last night. He had a great play. Uh, makes pitching easy, as they say, although it's never easy. When we come back, Jeff Robinson scouted. This was his job for years. He worked the draft room. He's been engaged in it this year for a number of different reasons. We will look at the prospects that await the Minnesota Vikings and let him rank them. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings are still a waste for being on the clock, Then Pete and Jerry will break down their pick in the 8 o'clock hour. Okay,
2: picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.